Have you ever questioned God because of all the pain and suffering that you see in this world? Or maybe something bad has happened to you and you just ask, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? Yeah, I think we've all been there. Hey, I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining us in this podcast episode. And today what we're going to try to do is look at the story of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 and pull some principles from that and see if it can help us to answer exactly what God might be doing in our pain and suffering. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel so you don't miss anything in the future, and don't forget to stick around until the end. I'm going to give you some additional resources so you can dig a little bit deeper into this problem of if God is good, then why is there so much evil? Okay, so we get to John chapter 11, and it's this episode of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And when you turn to this chapter, you have to understand the context here right? We get to a point in Jesus's life where he's pretty much towards the end. I mean, he's had his ministry time, and it's really close to the point of when he's about to go to the cross. He's developed this relationship with this family, and the family is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he's developed a really close friendship with them. So what happens in the first four verses is they send him a message because he's not there where they are at their house. And they know that their brother Lazarus has pretty much fallen on a sickness where he's about to die. So they send Jesus a message. And basically in this message, they're implying a request to him. And they're asking him like, look, we need you to come down here because this guy who you love, and we know that you love our family, we have a close relationship. He's about to die. And you think about it from their perspective, right? They've seen him over the past couple years. They know who Jesus is. They're asking for him to come down and do a miracle, pretty much. They know that he has the power to make the lame walk in the blind sea, and they've heard probably the stories about him raising other people. And so that's what they're getting at here. But the interesting point is, in the context of Jesus's ministry at this time, the... um issues that he's had with the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem is ramping up pretty pretty bad right now. I mean, the tensions are building. They're really high. It's even at the point where he left uh, the city of Jerusalem and, and the area that's known as Judea. He's left that area because he, he knew that he was going to be killed. And if you know anything about the biblical story, Jesus had to fulfill certain things from the Old Testament in order to claim to be the Messiah. And one of the things was he had to be what's called the Passover lamb. In order to be the Passover lamb, he has to die at the Passover feast. So this feast, he knows, is coming up, and he can't die any other time, or he's not going to be able to fulfill the promises of the Messiah. So he has to leave Judea and leave Jerusalem, so that way the Jewish leaders don't kill him. If you read in the Gospel of John from chapter 7 till this point, you'll notice multiple times where it says that these Jews in Jerusalem are trying to kill him, are seeking him, are conspiring against him. So he knows that these tensions are ramping up, and he's got to kind of um, make sure that he doesn't burst that bubble too soon so he can die at the exact right time. And so, to get back to our story, when they're asking him to come down, they know 
what they're asking. They know the danger that they're asking Jesus to put himself into because they don't live but a few miles from Jerusalem. I want to pull out of this a principle of how Jesus interacts with his disciples, the guys who he's been training for the past three years to take over his ministry when he leaves. I mean, he's specifically been training them to be the leaders uh, for the kingdom, to build his church once he leaves. So let's go ahead and take a look at kind of exactly how Jesus responds to this request from Mary and Martha for their brother Lazarus, and then the interaction that he has with the disciples. So we can understand that even in the pain and suffering that we go through in this world, God is there, and he's actually active. He's not passive. He's not sitting back. He's not doing the evil, but he's doing something in the evil. So let's look at verse 4. It says here, when Jesus heard this, that is the request from Mary and Martha, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, right here it tells us, and I'm not going to get into all the technical Greek about it, but essentially Jesus says this, the, the sickness, the, way, the pathway, the direction that this sickness is going is not going to be death but it's going to be for the benefit of God, with the result that the Son of God can be glorified by this situation. That's essentially what he says there. Now, from our perspectives, we'll look at that if we know the biblical story, and we'll say, oh, well, he's saying right now that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. No, you got to put yourself in their shoes. you got to see it from the perspective of the disciples and the perspective of Mary and Martha, They're hearing this as if, oh, Jesus is saying Lazarus is going to recover. He's not going to die. The sickness is not going to lead to his death, but somehow God's going to be glorified in it, whatever that means. I'm sure they don't know yet. So that's the way he responds, and he sends these messengers back to Mary and Martha. Look at verse 5. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, what that tells us is that Jesus has gotten to a point where he has this customary relationship with this family. And this is what I was saying earlier, that the customary affection that he has for them is one of love. And I get it. You know, Jesus is God and God loves everybody. But Jesus was also a human. He was a man. He was God in the flesh, fully human, fully God. That's the Christian theological position here. And in his humanity... Just like us, Jesus got along with certain people better than he did with certain other people. Just like you have family members that, well, if they weren't family, you probably wouldn't talk to them. And you may have friends, but you have some friends that, well, they're a little bit harder to deal with, but they're still your friend. And then you have other friends who are, you know, just, they're good friends. They're like some of your best friends because they're easy to get along with. They're always fun to be around. They're not really a headache anytime. John, the gospel writer, gives us that editorial comment in verse 5 to explain verse 6. So when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, again, here's where we're getting to the, the interaction with the disciples. So Jesus stays two days longer in the place where he is because he loved them. So if you're the disciples, you've heard him say, Lazarus' sickness is not going to end in death, and then he's in no rush to get to him. So clearly, if you were a disciple, you would think, oh, this is not a big deal. 
I mean, clearly Lazarus is going to be fine. We're not in a rush to get there. Jesus just said it's not going to end in death. It's all good. So let's look at the interaction that he has with them, because here's the point I'm trying to make in this episode, is that Jesus allows pain for the point of training, and that's what he's going to do. You see, Jesus' love motivated him to delay for two days. Now, he knew that Lazarus was going to die or pretty much already be dead by the time those messengers got back to Mary and Martha. And Jesus did that on purpose. He allowed that pain to continue for that family for a reason. And that reason was love. And you can say, well, how in the world is that loving for God to allow pain and suffering to be longer than necessary or to be at all? The answer is that one of the points of us going through pain and suffering in this life is to train us and to mold us. So look how Jesus uses this situation to train and mold the disciples. Verse 7 says, After this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to, the, to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? So here's where the disciples start to say, Look, um, you were in a point where the Jewish leaders want to kill you, and we left there. I mean, and we were all about that. We were all about leaving that danger zone. Why do you want to go back? You, I mean, you literally said his sickness is not going to end in death. We're in no rush to get there. We've waited two days. Why are we going to go now? What's the point? And so Jesus in verse 9 and 10, essentially he gives a long-winded way of saying that while it's still the day, it's time to work. And when it's nighttime, you stop working. And so essentially he's telling the disciples, it's still daytime, guys. It's still time to do work. My hour to die is not at hand yet. We still have things to accomplish in my ministry. And one of the things that he wants to accomplish here with the raising of Lazarus is to glorify God by doing that. But a, a secondary thing that he's doing here is he's going to train the disciples. You see, if you skip over to verse 15, Jesus says, when he finally tells the disciples that Lazarus is dead, he says, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there so that you may believe. He goes, I'm glad that he died and I wasn't there because I want you to believe. I want your faith to be strengthened in me. I want you to have a better understanding of who I am because I'm going to allow this pain and suffering to be longer and then I'm going to glorify God in it. So look at their interaction here. Verse 11, And after he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Verse 12, The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So again, you notice that the disciples are continuing to argue with Jesus. I mean, at first they go, um, That was the danger zone down there, and we left there, and now you want to go back. Are you, are you sure? You, you really sure you want to go back there? And he says, yeah, I want to go back there because my ministry is still at hand. There's still stuff to do. And one of the things I want to do is I want to glorify God, and I'm going to be glorified in this situation, so let's go. And he says, Lazarus is asleep. And now they say, well, if he's asleep, you know, if it's just a, you know, a sickness, like a fever, and he's just recovering from it, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. Like, there's no really need for us to go down there, Jesus. 
And Jesus has a facepalm moment. And a facepalm moment is where you just realize that somebody is not getting it. Just not getting it at all. And I had a facepalm moment the other day. You know, I had somebody at work come up to me, and I was typing on my computer, and I work at nighttime. So, you know, my computer is set to a, a dark mode, so that way the, the backlight of the computer doesn't blind me. And this person comes over, and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Look at your computer. You know, how did you get it to do that? And I said, oh, you just got to change a couple settings. It's called uh, nighttime mode. And they're like, oh, okay, can you show me how to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little busy right now, so I'll get up with you later. I'll show you how to do it. So I get a text from this person a little bit later, and they said, hey, how do you make your computer go to night mode? So, you know, being fluent in sarcasm, I found an animated picture. And in this animated picture, essentially, it shows a button, and the button says night mode. And then there's a mouse cursor, and the mouse cursor clicks the nighttime button, and the screen goes dark. And this picture is on a loop. It just keeps doing that like every couple seconds. So I sent this picture to this person thinking like, oh, this will be funny. You know, they'll get upset. They'll, you know, probably curse my name and and call me all sorts of bad names. Whatever. It'll be hilarious. So I sent this picture and this person sends me a message back and says, great. Where do I find this button? Oh, my gosh. Is that a baseball moment? Like you're going, are you serious right now? Did that really just go over your head? And that's the moment that Jesus has with this disciple, with the disciples right now, is he's trying to tell them, like, look, we got to go down there. God's going to be glorified in this. I got something that I'm trying to accomplish here. And they just keep fighting him on it. Are you sure? Do you really want to go down there? Is it really important? Do we really need to? I don't know, Jesus. This doesn't seem like a good idea. And finally, Jesus has his face palm moment. And he just says, in verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I just imagine Jesus like, oh, guys, stop talking. We're done. Conversation over. Lazarus is dead. Okay, I'm going to go do something pretty magnificent. You might want to tag along and see it. And then he says, as we read earlier, I'm glad I wasn't there so you may believe. This is the principle that I want us to learn today. When we ask about God, like, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? Why did you allow this to happen? whether it be, you know, an earthquake in another country or something bad on the news or maybe even something that personally affects us. Maybe instead of asking God, why aren't you doing something? We take a step back and say, God, what are you doing in this? And how are you trying to train me and mold me to have a better understanding of who you are? And so as we look at the problem of evil in this world, we have to understand one of the things that we can gain from it is that it's a training ground for God to mold us and shape us to have a better understanding of who He is and the glory that He can accomplish through the pain and suffering. Hey, thanks for joining me in another episode here in Dire Conversations. If this video helped you, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel so that way you don't miss any future episodes. And to help me spread the message, if you would, share this video with a friend. Check out the description below where I'm going to put some links to books and other things that you can check out to try to dive a little bit more into this issue about the problem of evil. I'm going to put up another video right here so that way if you're interested, you can dig a little bit deeper 
So until next time, thanks for joining me again.